Where we at? We're in Hackney, I won't lie. If you guys know about Hackney, it's not a good place. It's a dangerous place. But guess what though? My boys, I got, made that sound for me real quick. <coughs> they got it. <coughs> My boys. Hey, missus, missus. Can you tell me one reason why anyone should come to Hackney? Any reason? None. There's no reason. Oh, look at her. She's even smiling as well because she knows it's dangerous. Don't come to Hackney. Woo! So what's on the agenda today? Well, you keep the minutes, Matt. That's your job, right? I assume that you've been furiously writing down everything that we've said over the last few episodes. And yeah. Well, we can refer back to those. So, yeah. um, well, I only, I only say, I only know what's happened in the past. Um, that's what minuting is. The agenda is for the chair. Uh, that's, that's true. You. Yes. Okay. Technically, yeah. But it's informed by the minutes. So what, what action items came out of last week? Well, we're still trying to identify uh, what is woke and anti-woke, uh, and we're still waiting for someone, presumably Piers Corbyn, to come <laughs> down from a mountain with a tablet that uh, that identifies that 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 dichotomy, bifurcation. Oh, is yeah. oh yeah, the dialectics of wokeism. Is that what it is? Yeah, I think I think, I think, I think it... that's my latest latest paper for <laughs> Postmodern Weekly. Yeah, I've got a video on Piers Corbyn. We'll have a look at that later. You're really but, elevating uh, Piers Corbyn way beyond his station, you know. <laughs> you're you're going to end up... If this channel what really have I created? Off, you're going to end up making someone way more famous than they... Uh, than they I don't think there, he's like mm. interested enough, even himself personally, to actually go anywhere with it. But he's it's got... Like a, you, no one else gives a shit. <laughs> Yeah, so I was thinking, what's great about <laughs> what's great about this podcast? I was scratching my head. I was on the train the other day, and I was reading about um, crumbly, crumbly schools, all the crumbly oh, schools, yeah. and I was like, God, it's all. Oh, I didn't realize how big the story was. So, because I, I, I was, I was paying attention. To, I was still on the de debanking story. You know, egg on my face. I was trying to yeah. follow the natural conclusion of Nigel Farage's debanking thing, which he's already given up on. He's now wants a referendum on uh, net zero. That's <laughs> oh, that, 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 that sounds like it will, might take off a bit more than should I be allowed an elite bank account. But I'm like, um, I was all for this debanking. I was right there. I was, I was, I was finding cases yeah. for him, you know, trying to direct them to the website. And he's already given up on that, as has the media. And I was thinking that was a huge story. And there was all, you know, there was all these columnists talking about, yes, we do need to think about this, uh, but both in terms of how uh, banking has such control over our lives and they do have the power to take it away from people. Also to do with the council culture element of it and people being denied free speech because of their political position. Nobody cares about that anymore. Now it's all crumbling schools. And you just think about this is how the government operates. When that was happening, Someone, both in the Labour Party and in the Conservative Party at some point, they were like, you, you there over there, like some guy just walking past some, some low level minister or, you know, handler or whatever. And they're like, you find out about this debanking thing. Get me a report. And so, oh, oh OK, so I, but I don't know anything about banking. So well, well, go ask people who do know. Well, who are they? Uh, the bankers go go ask the bankers about banking regulations. All right, sir, I'll I'll go. I'll, you have two months. Get it. and then it's who goes. Then a month later, he's like comes back. Okay, we're about halfway through. We've got some questions. Um, but we're making good progress. We've got a few ideas. What do you think? And he goes about what? About the debanking thing that you sent me to send. Debanking. Who the fuck cares about debanking? What about the crumbling hey. schools? <laughs> Get on it. Sir.
It's just that's how it works, right? It's just no, just that things just come into the news and fall out. It's just this is like complete disaster. Um, and that's what separates our podcast. I think we like the news that is they go from one story to the next. Uh, you don't know where the stories come from, you don't know how it ended. It's just crisis to crisis. What we're gonna do is accumulate stories. Oh, so, I see. So, so we never let we never let go of we never the... let a story die. Okay. Yeah. So, so obviously all, in a year's time, we're still gonna be talking about Piers Corbin paying yep. for a strawberries with loose change. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. <laughs> We'll be, okay. we'll be watching, we'll be having more conspiracy. Even a, wasn't even a story in the first We'll be doing like deep dives in that video. Like, you know, like the TikTok deep dives, like, you know, that woman on the plane? Uh, she no, stood up. I've, just, I've she... just seen one that made it, made it look like Joe Biden was wearing a mask and was actually an alien. But I haven't had time to digest that one yet. Well, we'll, I will, we'll definitely consider taking that on board to our portfolio. But, uh, at the moment, well, we should, I, I'm not even taking on board this. So this, this is this is outside of our remit. Okay, I'm just mentioning this to you as an example. But we're not going to take the story on board as of yet. It's still rolling. It's months after this has happened, yeah. and people still on TikTok are studying this video and finding out all of the people on the plane. So the, this woman stood up at the front of she, she was you know sitting mid midway down the plane, whatever. Stood up, ran to the front of the uh, aisle in front of everybody and said, I'm not flying on this plane. That man is not real. And then pointed to some guy that was like wearing a, a hoodie, I guess. And uh, and Ooh. people have been studying this video for ages, trying to find out who he is, who the people next to him are. And still on TikTok today, you get new information, new videos emerging mm. with information, new interviews. And we're gonna do the same with the strawberry video. We're gonna find out who that cashless Aldi person is where she lives and we're going to relentlessly stalk her and find out all the personal information put online and anybody else that's in that video until everything until we know everything about the situation so get on with that matt okay uh, i'll get on with that and then in two months time i'll come back with my report and uh and then you'll tell me to research concrete true but i will still take on board we'll what you're saying we don't we don't board, forget yeah. a story we don't forget a story of plastic straws yeah. We're going to stay yeah. with plastic straws till the end, to the bitter end. Yeah, yeah. Until we find the real answer. It's like when when journalists bury the lead, we find the lead in the uh, in the uh, in the stone in which it's buried, and then we pull it out like Excalibur. What? Well, what's the lead? Is what like you a, know when you, you know like when a metaphorical like like a uh, like information lead. Yeah, I probably had two is, or three metaphors going. Is on buried at the same time, in a, yeah. is buried in a physical stone. <laughs> you know when journalists bury the lead. Oh, I see. Sorry, yeah, I'm getting it out. Okay, that's fine. So that's good. That's good. we are picking out the lead, and it is buried. Yes. Let's move on to Ben Shapiro because he looks fun. No, no, no. This is this is not Ben Shapiro. Well, he's watching it. Ben Shapiro watches a lot of things on TikTok and doesn't really do anything. But you get to watch him watch it. Let's do if you if we put this on TikTok, then you'll get to watch us watching Ben Shapiro watch it. Yeah, and then you can make your own TikTok of that and put yourself up. And then and this the is actually uh, this is my guy. The movement is real, Matt. Listen to this. I care about the planet, but guess what? This pisses me off because this is a paper straw. Now this paper straw is going to fall apart and make your drink suck halfway through it, and it's going to start getting disgusting, right? But the thing that makes me mad about it is it came in a plastic cup 
with a plastic cover. This ratio must be 20 to 1. How about you give me a plastic straw and a paper f***ing cup? Then we can help the planet and I can enjoy my f***ing drink. Oh, so true. There you go. There we f I found some common ground with Ben Shapiro. Yeah, I like Ben. Do you? <laughs> I wasn't expecting that. <laughs> I like everyone. What yeah, do you I, like about what do you like about Ben Shapiro? Uh, it's just funny, isn't he? Uh, <laughs> make, makes engage makes engaging content. I don't I don't care about it. Does he? Yeah, I, 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 I watch it on TikTok. I'm mean, I'm following it on TikTok. So as far as my subconscious is aware, <laughs> I like Ben Shapiro. I don't have to engage my critical thinking about that. Yeah, all right, fair enough. <laughs> so we're pro Ben Shapiro on this channel. Is that? I get you right. You don't have to be pro anything. We don't. We're not pro. We're just we're happy that people are out there. We're just, we're just talking, man. We're just Doing talking. Us, yeah, we're all just having a having a whale of a time. I actually did get from the cinema the other day. I got uh, a drink of of drink, and the, uh, and then I picked out one of the straws, <laughs> and the Odian person said, "You might want to take two or three of those because they're paper straws and they fall apart really badly." So I did that. So I was already feeling like I was wasting uh, paper straws. But then the ironies just piled on top of each other because actually I used this paper straw and I only needed one and it was fine. So I'm not sure if I agree with any of this. <laughs> I, yes, the paper straws. What kind of drink was it? This is this is the crucial thing. Fanta. Yeah, you see, you're just going with some weak ass soda. The the problem. Right, you're saying if it was a hot cup of tea. Was... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'm trying to trying to get my bov roll down with my paper <laughs> yeah, straw. With your straw. <laughs> no, it's it's for. You need to carry. You need to carry I've around. I've told a metal you this, straw. <laughs> Matt. I've told you this many bovril. times on this channel, <laughs> and I think people are like. Well, I think you're laboring the point about paper straws, but clearly not. It hasn't even got through to Matt, the only person who. <laughs> has actually heard all of the content on this so far. The problem with the paper straw is for milkshakes. It's for thick drinks, oh. thick, icy drinks, frappuccinos, milkshakes, uh. that kind of thing. Uh. Yeah, it can handle it can handle Fanta, fine. It still doesn't have a good taste, though. Did you not? I, did, I mean, how did, you, how did you feel about the paperiness on, on your lips? God. Probably worth destroying the planet to to get back that that, that smooth frictionless plastic. <laughs> yeah, God, I'm out. I feel like I'm out of my depth now. <laughs> I just had I just had an experience, Daniel. That's all I'm saying. No, well, all experiences are valid. That's fine. Thank That's you. good. Thank you. Personal experience, but Woo. at the same time, it's good. It's good to be able to to, to openly debate these things. So, Sh shall we move on? Yes. Uh, Joe Bird is be is a green candidate uh, for MP. Just okay. uh, just been selected. Uh, she was a Labour councillor, and now she's a green councillor in Birkenhead, in the Wirral near Liverpool. And uh, she was expelled for anti. She wasn't expelled for anti-Semitism. That's the the shorthand. Uh, she's Jewish. She was initially suspended for making a pun about due process. Uh, but then she was allowed back in. But then she was expelled for either joining or supporting Labour members or whatever against the witch, the witch hunt, which was a group uh, calling out 
what they saw as uh, the weaponization of anti-Semitism, the false allegations, and the preceding witch hunts against left-wing members of the Labour Party. Anybody that joined that group, uh, whenever, whenever the rules came in, I think it was after the EHRC report and Corbyn suspension, Labour Party changed the rules so that if you were a member of that group or supported that group, put anything on, had and historically put anything on Twitter or in, in public supporting any of these groups, then you were uh, investigated and often expelled for it. So she was expelled from the Labour Party. Very, very popular left-wing uh, Labour councillor, very prominent, very well-known on the left, um, uh, big fan of Corbyn. And she moved to the Green Party, became a Green councillor. Now she's running to be a Green MP in an area that arguably, you know, the Greens have a good chance of winning. So guess what the response has been from the Labour right? Well, look at my face. This is my response. Yes, that's good. Complete, complete lack of surprise that the Labour Party is acting like a Stalin's little henchman. But obviously, the Labour Party are now calling out the Green Party for being, for allowing an anti-Semite into the party. And uh, the Green Party so far are uh, just ignoring it. Oh, that might be an idea. Might be. But you know, what's interesting to me is that so far, I believe, oh, I'm going to do a quick Google now. I think the Guardian have ignored it as well. Uh, Joe Bird. Let's see what comes up. Guardian, Joe Bird, news, uh, recent, this month. Okay. Yeah, nothing. Absolutely yeah, nothing. It's probably too sort of low level, isn't it, for them to... They can't make what it... Do big, do you know what, what do you mean? Do you know what I mean? It's, it's, not a, it's not a big name, is it? So they can't make a song and dance about it. Well, it's anti-Semitism. Just, just from a clicks point of view. They won't I don't know. I think you've got to stamp out anti-Semitism wherever you find it, don't you? I agree, Daniel. So shouldn't the Guardian, you know, if they took these claims seriously, it's the same groups within the Labour Party that are calling out the Green Party. Now, obviously, they're in the Labour Party. They have no power whatsoever in the Green Party. Technically, don't have any power in the Labour Party, except being promoted or listened or taken seriously by the leadership by other elements within the party and by the media, uh, which they were under Corbyn. And now it seems they're not being taken so seriously. Mm -hmm. uh, and I think that's, uh, I'm not, I'm not surprised by that, but at the same time, um, it's in, it's interesting that this, because on the one, there was a feeling I've, I spoke to Heather about this. I wanted to get Heather on today's uh, podcast, but unfortunately she couldn't make it, but we were talking about this, how the anti-Semitism narrative has sort of expanded and is now people are being called out in the unions and it's people that, you know, it's friends of friends or um, people that know people that know people. It's a witch hunt. You know, it's got that McCarthy element where it just keeps going to personal vendettas and, and people who aren't even on the left and stuff like that. But now that it's in the Green Party, you would have thought there might be a push or like it would be kind of impossible to stop the momentum of it and it 
I don't know, things like the Guardian would feel that they, just just to keep their consistent line on it would would have to uh, write something about it. But they haven't so far. Mm. And and I think that could well be. I mean, it makes more sense that they don't because the reason that it came to prominence was that obviously these groups always use these tactics primarily to stop parties changing their position on Israel. But the reason it came to prominence in the Labour Party at the time was because it was an attack on Corbyn and there were other elements who wanted to attack Corbyn who weren't particularly interested in Israel per se, but they'd use anything. And so mm. when you had groups like the uh, JLM, J uh, Jewish Labour Movement, calling out Corbyn, that was then promoted by other factions in the party who were not particularly interested in that element of it, but could use it. Mm. Now they don't want to use it anymore because it's it's not really helpful for their agenda. Um, I mean, it is a good tagline against the Greens and maybe it will be used. It probably will be used locally by who, the local Labour candidate mm. Mm. who is themselves um, has been put in, helicoptered in by uh, Starmer HQ. Yeah, we'll, we'll see how where that is, goes. Where is, where is this, did you say again? Um, Birkenhead. In Birkenhead. All right. Okay. Yeah. You know. So good luck. Good luck to Joe then. Yeah. Well, this is my. Uh, she's great, and I think she's got a really good chance of winning that seat. And this is my this is my tip for you, Matt. This is my shoe in my really big shoe, my novelty sized shoe, my giant toothpick, my pick of uh, the week, my my puddle. Great. The metaphors are really flowing today. Like flowing, yes. Oil, <laughs> puddle of puddle of urine. Yeah. Joe Bird will be uh, the prime minister one day. Oh, do you know what? I didn't know her surname because uh, I forgot when you were saying. And and the reason I just got distracted and looked over there was because a bird landed on my window, alarmingly close. Just as you said, Joe Bird. It's a sign, Matt. A sign. Just sorry. Just as you said, prime minister. So, Joe, if you're out there, we reckon it's going to happen. And yeah, I'm yeah, gonna, yeah. I'm going to look up who the hell you are in a minute. <laughs> <laughs> Go for it. You're a goodie. Uh, that's what we want. We, su we support the goodies. Um, yeah, and also Ben Shapiro. And Ben Shapiro, <laughs> who's, I don't know what's going on with Ben, really, but. You know, he's just in a different. He's in a different. He lives in America. It's a different. <laughs> he's world American. What can you do, eh? <laughs> it's just a more polarized country, so you're going to have just more bonkers views. I, I hate the way that you try and rationalize everything. Do you? <laughs> I wonder <laughs> I what that says about you. <laughs> uh, what else is happening? News: Starmer's ruthless cabinet reshuffle. So, uh, Starmer. It has a reshuffle. I don't know. Like lots of articles about it. I've tried to read some of them. There's not really anything to say about it except that it's ruthless, which is a good mm. thing. Yeah. Um, when Starmer does it, I guess, you know, yeah. it's good to be ruthless when you support the people that are being ruthless, I suppose. Yeah. And uh, he's got in more right wingers and I guess pe people that are loyal to him, basically, um, yeah. which makes sense. And uh, yeah. What, what what do you expect? Um, you could critique that. That would be an interesting way to go. But not many. I, I looked at the Guardian and New Statesman, and they're not really. You know, they they could do a whole overblown story about factionalism and cutting out the left. 
the way that they would have done if called Nibali. I'm, I'm getting bitter. I'm, I'm going to move on. I don't give a shit. Right, he's got a new thing, but what we've I want to let, talk we've got to let Corbyn go. Jeremy Corbyn is in the past. I know I was literally wearing an enjoy Jeremy Corbyn t shirt last <laughs> week. I know that I raise Jeremy Corbyn as the Messiah every single time we talk. I know that I say that everything is lost since Jeremy Corbyn, but we have to move on. That was 2019. The future, Daniel, the future is Piers Corbyn <laughs> and Joe Bird. <laughs> and Joe Bird. That's a that's a winning combination. Yeah, no, I do. I disagree, though. I I think that's all. That's all just the framing of it, right? You have to move on. <laughs> Matt, Matt put his microphone up to say something, but then didn't. Maybe it was a rationalization, and he he, he knew that I was not in the mood for that. I said okay. <laughs> that's right. That's how this podcast goes. Whatever I say. Labour's uh, five missions. That's what I want to talk about. Okay. Um, have you have you seen um, Labour's five missions? No. You tell me so all I... about it. <laughs> With <laughs> pleasure. Anyway, I get my, anyway, I get my news is from this. Yeah, I like that you like. <laughs> uh, I get my news on a podcast that I'm on from an, a very reliable source, <laughs> the, the, the completely bipartisan, neutral <laughs> reporter. <laughs> He gives me all the facts and, and doesn't skew the information at all. And that's right, Matt, I don't. This is 100% uh, how it is. And, five, and don't, don't, don't get your news anywhere else, Matt. Stop watching Ben Shapiro. He's poisoning yeah, right your then. mind. Yeah, sure. The five pledges. Is it on a little card? that they? Oh, oh it's not a pledge, Matt. <laughs> it's not a pledge. Don't be ridiculous. Uh, pledges are over. I don't think Starmer could say the word anymore. These are missions. He's, he's mission-driven. The five missions are uh, secure the highest sustained growth in the G7. I think we're the lowest now, so that's quite ambitious. Make Britain an, a clean energy superpower. Build an NHS fit for the future. Right. Make Britain's streets safe. Break down the barriers oh. of opportunity at every stage. Uh, that's all it says. But then well done. Sound good. Uh, build up the economy. Uh, make the NHS uh, good from beginning to end, or whatever he said, cradle to grave. <laughs> he didn't say that, but yeah, fine. Uh, okay, so Desh Dharma's doing well so far. Uh, he's got my he's got my approval. What's the third one? Uh, that was the third one, NHS. The second one is make Britain a clean energy superpower. Again. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um. Anyway, so there's not much there, but then there is at the bottom download full briefing so i downloaded the full briefing and read that which was the last thing they expected <laughs> the last thing they expect you to do is to do right and they, uh, they underestimated you daniel because they did. You, you do as we know from the coronavirus you do your own research <laughs> now, that's that's enough of that now <laughs> <laughs> go on then what, did, what happened when you download it well it, it turns out um that the secret to uh, growth in the UK is more vaccines. We've got to get a, got to get a fourth boost. <laughs> no, it talks about how we chose our missions and how how did Labour come up with these incredible missions? Mm. And I was thinking, well, what the five missions just relate to the five like most prominent departments of state, right? It wasn't very difficult to come yeah. up with these. How how did they choose these these missions? Uh, well, this is what they say. The missions we have chosen flow from our diagnosis of the country, the challenges we face, and the opportunities ahead of us. Which already makes the country sound 
like it is a disease. <laughs> disease yeah. or a disease. Yeah, it's like we have the vaccine for Britain. While most mm -hmm. people agree that Britain is not functioning properly at the moment and that too many of the basics are not working, it is still vital we seek the root causes. Yeah, we're going to find um, patient zero to get underneath the headlines and work out what is really going on. Yeah, but Starmer's about keep, keeping on top of the headlines, though. I, that's what I thought. He's got to get underneath the headlines to get on top of the headlines. Uh, it's, it's a real roll in the hay. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so our first mission is to grow the economy and all the other missions contribute to that bold aim. But currently, yeah. that growth is being hampered by low business investment. Our failure to get ahead on the, on the game on green jobs. The fact that more than 7 million people are waiting for an NHS operation. The hoarding of power in Westminster. And the knowledge that the potential and life chances are not evenly spread. So I want to discuss a bit more about Starmer's... Uh, Politics, I suppose, because I, I think it's something that is just rarely discussed is uh, neoliberal centrist politics, because it's just a given what what the situation is. And it's never really spoken about exactly where these people are coming from. In our last podcast, I was talking about Keir Starmer becoming evil mm. and that being the the basic kind of media narrative line. I mentioned a different bias, which is a, a sort of centrist YouTube channel that d discusses Starmer, basically just praises him all the time, saying he has to capitulate to certain things, to certain kind of Tory narratives and stuff to to win people over and to not be uh, able to be attacked too, too viciously by the right-wing press. But that's their narrative on it. But I, mm. I don't think that is actually the case. I think Starmer's always been evil. And I'll tell you for why, Matt. I'll tell you for why. Mm -hmm. So the way that I think it works is someone like Keir Starmer, and a lot of people that support Keir Starmer on some level believe this as well. They know that the sort of mainstream, like economic orthodoxy that we have, centralized power, they talk about, you know, giving power to the regions. Although anybody who's been following the Labour Party has seen how since Starmer's become leader, the democracy of the Labour Party has become completely centralized with them deciding candidates for local places and not allowing local members to decide who they are and stuff like that. But anyway, you've got economic uh, orthodoxy, centralized power, corporate control. Everybody knows that these things are unpopular and also aren't really working very well for uh, most people, right? Mm -hmm. But the fear is, and the belief, this is why I think Starmer believes, is that the only alternative to this vision is right-wing populism. Okay. And if if we had a kind of free and open debate about things, which is why, again, people don't like, they have this kind of visceral hatred of Trump because of his popularism and because he's so frank about a lot of things. People like Stalin believe that if we did discuss these things openly, it would lead to a kind of collapsing of the the mainstream parties and, and the institutions that support them. And you would you could see the rise, you would see the rise, in fact, if this were to happen, of uh, some kind of uh, right-wing movement in this country. 
And so it's for that reason that he believes, and I think a lot of his supporters deep down would know this as well, that he has to lie. That's important for him yes. to, to basically lie, manipulate, take away local democracy. Mm. Um, all of these things are justified because of the threat mm. uh, that, that, that they see to neoliberal politics. Uh, because they they honest they they honestly believe that there is no better way of running the country. There are only worse ways. The, but th this is a standard thing in in Western thought. I mean, it's the same uh, across human societies, I suppose. But this is it's very it's very rarely articulated. That's all I'm saying. No, sorry, go on. I just want to say that it's just very rarely spoken about. Yeah, I, I guess you're right. Um, because. I guess it's kind of internalized so much that um, that the powerful, the idea that the powerful need to, the, all the good people in power still need to lie because if they didn't, then we would be subject to the whims um, of the people. Basically, your, your Starmer types and your Blair types don't trust the people. I mean, there's no. a really good, a really good example of that, wasn't there? When um, when Gordon Brown was prime prime minister, and I'm not saying that Gordon Brown was the worst in this regard at all, but he did meet with a voter um, up north and said, "Oh, she was," and she said something that he considered to be racist, and uh, and his response in private was, "Oh, she was just a bigoted woman," <laughs> and then he was forced, humiliatingly, to have to go back to apologise because that was caught on tape. Now that is the standard view, isn't it? That um, that the great unwashed, that the public, um, that the working class, but the people, the people as a whole, really can't be trusted. They need to be managed. But this also goes back to a hundred years of thinking, going back to the origins of PR, um, of public relations, and of propaganda. And this goes back to Noam Chomsky's work and all that kind of thing. Um, you have, uh, the people who who invented the idea that. Well, look, we can't be violent, really, to the public anymore because times have moved on and they've got the vote and all that. So we actually we can't just sm smash people up and send in the police all the time. We're going to have to be better at deceiving them. That's where Starmer, the tradition of Starmer comes from. It comes from people like Walter Lippmann and Edward Bernays and, um, you know, all the, it's all the madmen people, you know, from the 19, 1950s. It's all the advertisers. That's what they're all up. They all are. And that's why they one of the reasons that they hate Trump and what they uh, called the the and Piers Corbyn and and Piers Corbyn and Jeremy they Corbyn hate, certainly Jeremy and Corbyn. Joe Bird and I don't know about Joe Bird but yeah but but, but, but they do hate that they can't conceive of uh, uh, this is what it's all about like it's stopping the bewildered it's controlling the what they would call in the twenties and thirties the bewildered herd. Uh, and that that mentality is still there. And I think uh, it still seems sort of tragic and baffling, really, that they can't accept that there could be a people's movement, um, which has shown itself to be really good on issues like um, climate change and setting the agenda for, um, for anti-war uh, policies and that kind of thing. Um, but they those people, the Blairites and the Starmer, Starmerites and all that, they just they just don't trust. They don't like the people. I think it probably means that it would take away their power. And I think it would actually mean that it would take away how special they are. I think that's what it really comes down to. They don't really want to be representatives of of a people's movement um, because that means that they are just yeah. There's carried, an element of they, that. They're just carried by the tides of history and by the tides of a movement. I think that they all want to be sort of special, really. Um, well, we all want to be special, and, Matt. 
I, I think I think there's a real ego that drives um, uh, drives those more centrist politicians, uh, those prominent centrist politicians. And I don't think that was the case with with what Jeremy was doing. I don't think it was driven by by ego in, in anything but like that. Way. There you go. Bring, bringing up Jeremy Corbyn again. I know. But that's kind of. Well, it's just anyway, carry on. <laughs> uh, go about your business. I think that clearly, obviously, that uh, there are always people like that. Uh, yeah. in any organization and stuff and Starman may well be like that but i don't think it really matters whether it comes from that kind of thing i mean it's certainly true that that kind of political movement that idea about that we do need these special handlers handlers of uh of of the crowd handlers of, of public discourse and, and policy making that that centrist position that we are that we need to keep the masses in check is going to attract people that are egotists. Oh yeah, who like and, to and it's going to great, yeah, great, and, great, it's gonna, and it's going to and it's going to put off love, a lot of love. people that could probably be quite good local yeah. MPs, if not, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, members of government or whatever. But um, whether they personally believe that or not, I don't know. So they, what I do really do think they believe is that that it's vital for the country, and maybe it's a mixture of that, like. It is just pure ego driven, but you can't really take that. So you create this this massive project. Well, it's not just my personal ego. It's just that I'm the only person that's equipped to save the country from. Uh, I, I from think you like... need to psychoanalyze the the people involved, those kind of prominent politicians. I think. I, yeah, I guess it doesn't matter. I guess for me, it, it's not really the issue. The issue is that you identify the ideological framework that's being used, and it never is identified because this is it's seen as unideological. But I think on top of having that ideology of that we need to subvert democracy, basically, to make sure that we keep this sort of neoliberal agreement in place, even though it's incredibly unpopular right now. Um, on top of that, there is no critique of why it's unpopular. And the reason it's unpopular mm. is because it's completely dictated by market economics. Mm. And you can see this. There's a So they were talking about, we can talk about Starmer's five missions or Labour's five missions. What was the mission about the uh, build the economy, right? Secure the highest sustained wow. growth in the G7 with good jobs and productivity um, growth in every part of the country, making everyone, not just a few, better off. Now, how do you achieve higher growth? You do, uh, you do it through productivity. And how do you achieve productivity? Uh, you capitulate to business interests, apparently. And of course, that is an ideological position, which is not centrist, it's right-wing. The left-wing position is that workers' interests directly mm. oppose business interests. That's basically, that's the fundamental sort of left-wing position on things. I don't think they oppose business interests because that workers could run the business. Yes, they, yes, might, if, they yes. might oppose owners' interests, uh, but the owners' interests are so uh, greatly um, disproportionately catered for um in over the past 40 years increasingly um that you know of course it's going to be better for workers to have uh uh, uh for their interests to be furthered so it seems that's like thing, so, but the idea is you know the the, the star right position is look we need to create better environment for business for businesses to grow and this will allow workers to to have better jobs right but the way that you yeah. do that is by stripping workers rights so this is from yeah. the ft on yeah. august the 17th 
Labour rose back on workers' rights to blunt Tory anti-business claims. Starmer dilutes pledge to boost protections for gig economy as party focuses on winning over Britain's corporate leaders. So Keir Starmer's Labour Party has been courting corporate chiefs in what insiders have called a smoked salmon and scrambled egg offensive. Sounds a little bit anti-Semitic to me, but, you know, it couldn't be possibly because it's Starmer. <laughs> so Keir Starmer's Labour Party has been... Uh, sorry, Labour has watered down plans to strengthen workers' rights and Sir Keir Starmer tries to woo corporate leaders and discredit Tory claims that his party is anti-business ahead of the next general election. Right, so the way that you get the economy moving and get people having good jobs is you get rid of all the rights they have for the jobs yeah, they already yeah, have. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, yeah you can't make an omelette without breaking some eggs. Yeah, but Keir, they're my eggs. Or they're stealing some eggs. salmon from the Jews. That's one for us. They've got all the salmon. That—that that was the implication of that joke. You just—you just, you just stop that brilliant bit going by. Sorry, go on. <laughs> say what you were going to say, Matt. <laughs> no, your own brilliant bit. I think that's good analysis. It's right, isn't it? But um, it's yeah. That's it, it's it's the inherent contradictions of of that kind of mindset. Yeah, we've got to screw over your rights so that you get better rights. Um, and there comes, there comes a point where with the sort of the philosophy of, of that sort of centrist that you just I, I, you just think, I mean, are they being just cynical or are they just a bit thick because they're just dealing with inherent that uh, they're just spouting inherent contradictions? Um, I don't know. Maybe I spout inherent contradictions as well, but I don't think I do. But then sometimes I do. <laughs> yeah, well. We're not judging anybody here. Look, Starmer, Starmer's entitled to his contradictory <laughs> positions. Yeah, but it's, it's it's particularly striking, though, isn't it? We 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 want we need to harm your interests to improve your interests. I mean, it's very Animal Farm, and it and it, it's just never brought up. I think you know if if that was challenged, mm. it would it would be very difficult uh, to justify what they're doing. The other thing that isn't brought up is uh, how involved a lot of the so-called you know neutral. In institutions that make Britain great, you know, institutionally, and this includes, of course, the media itself. Uh, they have their problems, of course, mostly run by Rupert Murdoch. But, you know, the, the BBC is great, of course, totally impartial. Guardian's always there fighting for the left, but not 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 the extreme left, not the hard left, just the, just the soft left of taking away people's rights to increase business interests so that mm. in, in the future... When we're not in recession, whenever that'll be, uh, we'll all have great jobs. But there's 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 sort of uh, there's like deep level institutional things that are never brought up. Um, they wouldn't be brought up by the right wing press, but I don't know why they're never brought up by the Guardian. So, um, as I'm sure you know, Keir Starmer uh, before before coming leader. In fact, I'm not sure about the dates, about when he left this organization, whether he was already leader or not. I imagine it was before. But he was a member of something called the Trilateral Commission. Do you know about oh, this? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and Trilateral Commission is, um, there's a great Chomsky uh, video about it, talking about it was basically started because of the fear of too much democracy. It's an anti-democracy mm -hmm. institution. Mm. Um, which is, yeah. uh, it's called trilateral because it's American, British, and Japanese. And it's about having an aligned position on everything, like a kind of, sort of globalist agenda, but that would be a bit anti-Semitic. So it can't, can't actually be that. It's impossible.
the other the other thing is the British American project or BAP, which has a good name, uh, and that's that's got a similar position. And there's a lot of institutions like that, and a lot of prominent. The other thing about trilateral and BAP is that many senior conservative and Labour politicians are or have been members of them in the past mm. because they actually share, you know, quite a lot of values and and an agenda, right? Kind of like a sort of globalist agenda. And again, and Ruth Smith, Ruth Smith, who is Jewish, by the way, <laughs> well, we're on shaky ground now. She was a member of BAP. And actually, in in, in the WikiLeaks, we we'll talk about Julian Assange, it came out. Uh, the only thing that's mentioned about Ruth Smith, I mean, why she was mentioned at all is is quite amazing. But she was mentioned in some of the uh, I don't know which ones, this, something to do with the CIA. But there was a there was a wire that mentioned Ruth Smith, and next to her name it said "Strictly Protect." So it's Ruth Smith, mm -hmm. Strictly Protect. And uh, yes, yeah, she, she was a member of BAP. And I think I don't know much about these institutions because there's very little journalism done on it. Mm. Uh, you look at the Guardian. There's a handful of articles over the last ten years on trilateral. None of them really about the trilateral, more mm. just um, saying it in passing. But you know, there is obviously uh, in the US there's Intercept, and, and in the UK there's Declassified, and they do do good work on mm. this stuff. But mm. they don't have any money. They don't have any contacts really. They don't have any clout at all. You know, if mm. the, if the Guardian were to investigate these things, we could really get you know the way that they investigated every fucking funeral that Corbyn had been to in the last 30 years and, and, mm. and, and any meeting that, and anyone he's ever met. But they never investigate the Trilateral Commission, which Kirstarmer was a part of for many mm. years, and find out what the hell was going on there. And, and one of the reasons, I think, because last time we talked about why doesn't The Guardian do a campaign to free Julian Assange? And one of the reasons would be that it would undermine all of the sort of the great institutions of, of Britain, right? Including um, the judiciary, uh, the media itself, mm. the fact that there are these interest groups that are primarily run by the Americans and um, the American intelligence community uh, that, that basically dictate or at least have very big influence, much bigger than Russia, say, on UK democracy. And, mm. and Guardian don't want to get into that because like Starmer supporters, they have a deep belief that it would just be damaging. It would be very damaging the country and for democracy to start to question these things and it would naturally lead to uh nigel farage being the prime minister so mm. for the good of the country they have to hide this information from us yeah I, I mean i think that's right um it's not a unique thing i don't think to um uh to britain or america or anything it's just it's human societies but i mean it's it, it it's not great if you want to set up a civilization that's not going to destroy itself you need to have openness and and uh, and that's unfortunately been rolled back quite badly over the uh, past few decades. So I think there's like at the moment we're in this sort of position where it's this this face off between the managed decline of the sort of neoliberal centrist agreement mm. and and a kind of grassroots organizing, yeah, which is all over yeah. the place and constantly being discredited and destroyed. Um, and that's on the right and the left, of course. Um, yeah, but that's also I... the refusal. Of of the good nice centrists to actually back a left wing movement, mm. um, although to be said to be fair, the way that they're so discredited now that actually they probably cause more damage. If Kistama mm. suddenly came out, um, I don't know, in, in favour of the of the socialist group of uh, MPs, that probably wouldn't do them any good. Yeah, he could destroy um, Extinction Rebellion in an afternoon just by endorsing <laughs> them. <laughs>
So, Piers, uh, let's move on to Piers Corbin. Uh, and uh, did you catch this video on mm, good old TikTok? I was invited to the Russian Academy of Sciences in 2004 because the, uh, you'll like this story, the Met Office had invited themselves to go and see the Russians, to tell the Russians to sign the Kyoto Protocol. So this is Piers Corbyn talking about the time when he was invited by the Russian Academy. I don't know what that is, but it sounds pretty serious. He was invited by the Russians to go and speak to, I guess, the, the Western delegates on signing the, the Kyoto Agreement. And the Russians brought it, uh, bring him in to uh, justify their position. that they, they don't believe in climate change, basically. So we were invited, me and four others from around the world, were invited to be there to upset the Met Office. Andrei Ilyanov, who was Putin's chief scientific advisor and many other things advisor, um, phoned up the Met Office when they were at Heathrow Airport and said, oh, by the way, Piers Corbyn and uh, uh, Richard Lindzen and others are waiting to talk to you. And they were fuming on the phone, said, well, we're not going to come then. And, but Andrei, he said to us, but I knew they would. And sure enough, they turned up and they were really angry. And I said to Sir John Houghton, I showed a graph of solar activity and temperatures going together. And I said, it would be nice if one of these was actually CO2, wouldn't it? And he just sat there and said nothing at all. Now, he's normally not short of words, that guy, but anyway. The Russian Academy of Sciences then voted that man-made climate change story wasn't, wasn't true and they should not sign the Kyoto Protocol. However, uh, Three months later, four months later, Putin is on television signing the Kyoto Protocol. So I phoned up the Russians. I said, hey guys, what's going on? You agreed, we agreed, the Russian Academy of Sciences agreed, everybody agreed, it's all bollocks. Why is Putin signing it? And he said, oh, Mr. Corbyn, um, Bestland. I said, what? He said, Bestland, Bestland, Bestland. I've got to go. And he went. Uh, about a month after that, if you recall, the Russians were in Chechnya killing, killing and killing. Beslan was that school in Russia where there'd been a big uh, security problem because the Chechens had uh, taken over the school, right? And because of that, the Russians had decided to do something and they, well, of course, no one's told me this, but they obviously did a deal with the West. So what do you make of that, Matt? Have you seen that before? I did actually see it, yeah. Um, uh, last last week, uh, I did block it out because I, I tend to block out these uh, Piers Corbyn clips that you, <laughs> you keep foisting on me. But then they go, they come like zombie-like back in these uh, discussions that we have. Um, yeah, I, I don't know I, what I, you expect. You expect me to not <laughs> bring this up again. <laughs> yeah, uh, it, uh, yeah, it did ring bells. Uh, I mean, I think it's interesting that... Um, I mean, I'm sure there's some sort of elements of, of truth to that um, in that, you know, maybe there was this deal that was cut between the West and, and Russia. Um, in a way, that's, that's a little bit heartening because if the West cares that much about um, uh, about the Kyoto Agreement, that it was willing to let Russia um, basically uh, kill thousands of people in Chechnya, that it probably means that they that uh, they do actually take climate change Jesus. quite seriously. <laughs> Christ. <laughs> Why can't they cut a deal now uh, over yeah, Ukraine? Yeah, I, I, I guess maybe no, look, have, they, they think they're prob they're give probably up, what it is. If, they Russia, would, if Russia give up their plastic straws, we'll, we'll end this madness now. 
I think they probably didn't care very much about Chechnya or about Kyoto, but they cared enough to 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 uh, to get a watered down deal signed. I don't quite know what to make of it, really. I mean, I think I think once you start saying um, science, the science is bollocks. I mean, I think it probably means that you. It doesn't sound that that convincing, does it? But I guess it no, will come down think, to what the science is. I mean, fuck whatever Piers Corbyn thinks. Um, apart from raising his profile on this channel every time that we do a podcast. Mm-hmm. Apart from that, fuck mm-hmm. it. Uh, what's interesting is the Russian response. Basically, not interested in climate change. They'll use it. Oh, well, I suppose you know a lot mm-hmm. of mm-hmm. governments would be like this, and uh, a lot of mm-hmm. uh, companies are like this. You know, you have to use. Uh, there's a lot of pressure on politicians to do something. Mm. Other nations and and which are not so democratic, and obviously companies which aren't democratic at all, know this about what's going on, and they can leverage the government. Uh, well, we will do what you t- tell us to do. Or, you know, we'll, we'll try and hit net zero or whatever, but you'll have to uh, mm. do something for us. Um, but the fact. There is an interesting uh, twist on this with in terms of climate change in Russia is that actually the heating up of the earth by a few degrees uh, could be pretty good for Russia. Uh, we have a very Eurocentric view of climate change. And mm. if you live in Siberia, um, where they have a big coastline, but it's pretty inaccessible because uh, mm. there's so much ice around, um, if you were to get rid of that ice, it would actually be, you know, it could be good wine country in 50 years. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's that's something to really take seriously uh, when you are considering uh, that what, what you need is a global consensus on this. And mm-hmm. therefore, you need people all around the world who will not be affected or may actually benefit because mm-hmm. of their, geo, um, their geographical location to get involved I think you know, that, 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 that I spoke, I, I won't say who it was, but I spoke to someone um, who had, had been in touch with NASA, um, some scientists from NASA, um, and she was reassured, she was an American woman, and she was reassured because she was panicking about climate change, and she was reassured because NASA said that there will be winners and losers in climate change. And I thought, oh, my God, that's a terrible way of looking at it. Where um, she live, Alaska. Uh, uh, well, I won't say, but in, in the United States, and so basically, well, what you won't was... say because what's <laughs> the the, the, thousands, the millions of listeners of the podcast will go and burn that city to the ground. <laughs> no, I just I think it was just a disturbing thought process that she had because she was basically saying, "God, I was, I was worried about it, but now that NASA have told me that there are going to be winners and losers, I'm pretty sure." And I, and I'm, I'll winner. be a winner. I'm American. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah exactly. It'll be fine. Um, and like you're saying, it might be the same thing with there might be uh, uh, Russian policymakers who are like. Well, it sounds like it's going to thaw out Siberia. Uh, we've got a new holiday destination in 25 years. So here's my solution, Matt. I think this will be popular. How do you get Russia on board with climate change? They need a stake. They need a stake in what's yeah. happening. Give yeah. them a part of Europe. <laughs> <laughs> Not that part. Not that part, Matt. No. I know what you're thinking. No. Uh... We'll give them Wales. See how yes. they like that. Oh, you want to conquer Europe? Well, here's a piece of it. Fucking sort out the ex-mining communities of the valleys. See how you get on with that. Sort out the crumbling concrete in our schools. <laughs> yeah, you can fix the schools while you're at it. Mm. I think we should just let Russia... Let's let's just see what happens if uh, Putin ran Europe for a few years. It may, it may be all right. 
Yeah, I do have a bit in my stand-up about that where I uh, say that the, the solution uh, to all of our problems um, is to find a good country to invade. Invade us and <laughs> be the administration in our... Well, I mean, maybe the, this is all working towards justification for an invasion of Russia so that we can get that sweet, sweet Siberian coastline. <laughs> Mm, looking forward to that. I think the, I think just as the, the serious counter argument, though, no one really knows what the consequences of climate change are going to be. They, they, what we do know is that they're going to be uh, create more extreme weather. That doesn't necessarily mean it will be hotter or colder in any particular part. Well, we hate extremism on this channel. <laughs> it's it's true, though. I mean, like in the UK, the UK could be a lot colder, particularly in winter, because as mm. it stands, the UK, you know, is famously kind of drab and and sort of overcast the whole time. But you look how far north it is, you know, you compare it to Korea or even, uh, you know, mainland in Russia, the, the, the same latitude. And they have brutal winters that we mm. that we don't have. They also have scorching hot summers. But mm. because of the Gulf Stream, we've mm. got this kind of maintained kind of nothingness. But if that collapses, then then, yeah, we're, we're likely to have very, very hot summers. Yeah, that but means we'll have it, these it, crazy, it, 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 crazy cold winters. It's if the Gulf Stream stopped moving or stops moving in the sort of normal way. Well, I, I think it's something to do with the temperature of the sea and stuff changing. And this this then changes how much water is absorbed. into you know, it's, it's all carefully balanced. And this creates mm. certain things like the Gulf Stream. And they, they, they can move mm -hmm. and they do often. They, they, everything is moving and changing all the time. But, you know, with climate change, the idea is that that's, that's suddenly going to accelerate and there'll be a violent shift and it'll either collapse and create different streams going somewhere else maybe siberia or or, or i don't know it'll disappear mm. entirely and there'll be other things happening in other parts of the world um maybe it'll, anyway maybe it'll thaw out the nut yeah go on yeah okay yeah was that thaw the end of our uh, agenda I, I was about to say maybe it'll thaw out the nazi base in antarctica <laughs> <laughs> Oh shit, yeah, that's where they've been hiding, it's haven't they? Yeah, yeah. Thank you very much, Matt, as always. Uh, and thank everybody who was who has listened all the way to the bitter end. Uh, if you like the podcast, it's available on Spotify and all of those other kind of places. And there's also a YouTube channel. And, and yeah, check us out on TikTok and even Instagram. I, I just recently dusted the cobwebs off the Instagram and put some videos up there but i don't have any friends on instagram are you on instagram matt i hardly use it technically because i've heard i've point. heard it's quite good for stand-ups for for networking and talking to venues no well I, yeah i'm sure it is i just can't figure out instagram and could never understand it every time i try and click on something it seems to disappear so yeah it's I, a bit shit this just gets on my wick so i don't really use that but you can find me on the writer with no hands the writer with no oh, hands yeah. on Facebook. Basically, it was all I ever used is the writer with no hands on Facebook. So, so add me on that, chaps. Oh, chap also, essay. Matt, um, you got some dates coming up that you might want to plug. Well, I always, um, all my dates are on social media. So please contact them and remind them to turn up. But where, where can we find you on social media? You're not on Instagram. Oh, dear. Uh, what? Uh, no, I don't know. I, I can't remember any of uh, any upcoming gigs. I'm sure I'm doing something. But uh, find Matt on find, uh, find me on the find internet. Matt Alford, Google yeah. his name. Yeah. Do all the work yourself, and yes. you eventually find the information. And the, and the rewards will be all the greater. <laughs> <laughs>